You're listening to Not Another Origin Story, the comic book movie podcast. I'm your host, Pogues, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Ben Chapman. Hello! Uh, we're back for another mini-sode. I'm glad you're here listening. Uh, I know that you came for uh, all the usual shit. You came here to hear us talk about the next movie up in the cycle, and an amazing game that Pogues has put together for us, right? Oh, oh I, I oh. see what you did there. You just you started off by tossing me under the bus. That's interesting. <laughs> Uh, here's the thing, listeners. Uh, I told Ben I spent some time today at work. We were a little slow. I uh, I came up with a good game, wrote it all out, typed it up, printed it up, and then I had a doctor's appointment, and I left early and forgot to take the piece of paper with me. So at work, there's a pretty sweet game that I could play. So my bad, listeners. I feel bad. I've let you down. But look at it this way. There's a, a game done for next mini episode. <laughs> yeah. I do have something for a little bit later in the show, but first let's let's cover over what we've got. Uh, we watched Captain America: The First Avenger last week. We hope you watched it too. Great movie, thoroughly enjoyed. So I don't know what else you can say about that. Yeah, if you listen to the episode, uh, don't don't be steered away from it just because it's a movie that we didn't have uh, a lot to mock. Uh, but it, we had a lot of uh, interesting commentary on what we thought was um, the right structure for a comic book movie franchise. Um, and uh, a real honor to the character. Yeah, and there are definitely jokes. Even when we love a movie, we can still find something to make fun of and sometimes question how Ben doesn't know the nationality of an actress. <laughs> <laughs> That's only a joke you'll get if you listen to the episode, so if you didn't listen to it, go and listen to it. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. I, there wasn't much in the way of corrections and omissions for uh, our Captain America episode, because let's face it, we nailed it. Well, it was right out yeah, of the park. Right out of the park. Great movie. So, what movie, a movie that we loved, Captain America, one of the most iconic co- characters in comic book history, you know, a true patriotic character, makes you proud to be an American, which is hard these days. Uh, what, what are we going to follow that movie up with, you know? Like, what could follow such an icon of quality, just a great film? Ben, what, you, what did you pick for uh, to follow? I, I- I felt that if we're going to do something uh, to counter the quality film that we just did, I would have to do a film that may have destroyed a man. And uh, that movie is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Um, I'm certainly it wasn't the only factor, but it definitely contributed to the slow descent into madness that is Alan Moore. So. Oh, that's who you were talking about. I thought you were talking about the fact that this was Sean Connery's last movie he appeared oh, in good point. as an actor. He did one movie after this. It was just voiceover, and he's never acted since. And uh, he did do an interview afterwards and said that the negative press of this movie really just made him think that it was time to retire. Oh. So people shitting on this film led to us losing one of the greatest actors ever. Sure, he advocates hitting women, but, you know, <laughs> there's really no way to end that sentence. There really isn't. It's such a strange movie because the Alan Moore comic isn't one that uh, invites sort of like a Hollywood adaptation. It's really like jagged and dark and aggressive. And Uh, full of only British people. There's not an American character in the comic book because it's written by a British man about British literature. Yeah, it doesn't really play to the Hollywood uh, archetype of even the superhero movie, just the comic book non-superhero stuff that we've done doesn't line up with this movie so i'm super interested to take a look and see how it goes 
I and also, for those of you, oh, go ahead. I'm no, sorry. You, you go right, right ahead. I was going to say, for those of you who don't know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is a comic book that was written by Alan Moore, probably one of the most famous writers in comic history. He wrote things like uh, An Amazing Run on Swamp Thing. He wrote Watchmen, V for Vendetta, The Killing Joke. Uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of other stuff that I'm currently blanking on. But he is uh, known for being a, a great writer, an extremely eccentric man. A man who does not like it when they make his movies into – or his comics into movies, so much so his name does not appear on most of them. He actually makes them take his name off. Uh, this comic series is – he took famous literature that all took place in the same time. So you're talking uh, The Invisible Man, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the Alan Quartermain series, Bram Stoker's Dracula, and he combines them together to form as if all those universes were one, and he creates this alternate version of, of Britain. And that's the series that they decided to cast and film in the United States. Most people don't even know who Alan Quartermain is unless they were old enough to see Romancing the Stone. Yeah, uh, uh, Alan Moore called it the Justice League of Victorian England. So that right there is the best elevator pitch I've ever heard. So And, and the, the first comic is superb. As it goes on, it is the descent of Alan Moore's madness. The comic becomes less and less coherent, interesting, and just becomes like an insane romp in which he tries to include as many naked women as possible. Since his book about Alice, underage Alice having sex, didn't get published in the United States, <laughs> he wrote a he wrote a series about famous female characters in literature and porn uh, or something. I don't know. I you can't read it. They won't sell it in the United States because it has underage sex in it. <laughs> The movie that then got picked up in 2000, in the early 2000s, and then released in 2003, um, it opened. It opened uh, number two in England, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it had a good response in the box office. Uh, well, actually, I think it might have opened uh, opened well in in uh, in the, the U.S. as too. Um, but it was didn't get a critical response that he was looking for. Uh, it currently has one of definitely a comp competitively low metacritic score uh it's rotten tomatoes is like in the 20s somewhere <laughs> it's Ooh, that's rough that's where some, most of the fantastic four movies sit which i don't know if that's a fair i don't know if that's fair this movie's bad it's not good and i love the the comic and this movie is a real letdown i don't know if it's i don't know if it's as bad as the fantastic four movies <laughs> we're this gonna find out crazy because it has like a lot of famous actors in it yeah. and like the premise is so simple but for some reason, they took the comic and they removed everything that was super interesting about the comic and replaced it by adding extra characters, including Dorian Gray this isn't a, and, for some reason, the grown-up Tom Sawyer. This isn't a movie that needed extra characters. And it certainly did not know? need a grown-up Tom Sawyer. No <laughs> movie, no book needs a grown-up Tom Sawyer. It's an insane inclusion of a character that you're just like, I get they needed an American, but they couldn't find one American from this time period in a book. I find that shocking. And uh, it, has, it has one of my most exciting uh, crew behind it, because as always, I'm super interested in who wrote and directed these movies. Um, the director of this movie, uh, only credit to his name before this, was uh, Blade. He directed the, movie, the first Blade movie, so we'll be... We'll be covering that when we get to it. Um, he directed a really ridiculous, like, insane, like, early 90s project called Death Machine that was basically like a black and white student film. Uh, like a weird What do you think it was about? <laughs> it's something to do with 
fucking robots. But that's it. He did like a, a, a kind of a weird art house film in the 90s, Blade, and then this movie. And it was written by a guy whose only credits included a screenplay for the movie Cyber Bandits, which in discovering that it existed, I realized I needed to go extremely out of my way to find this movie no matter what the cost. Um, it feels like something I would. I think we should really investigate together. <laughs> the movie I'm intrigued. Cyber Bandits is some sort of sci-fi uh, uh, romp from the mid '90s with one of an incredibly low, 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 low score on IMDb that also stars uh, Adam Ant and Grace Jones. Yes, everything you just said sounds spectacular. <laughs> Do you it's, think Adam Ant is dressed like a Native American in the movie, like he was on stage, or... I, I have no idea. But this guy, again, has, like, a similarly, like, truncated history. He wrote this, and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and then nothing else. Like, he well, just... Well, we can kind of figure out why he didn't write anything else. It's insane. These kind of movies are my favorite, because the people who are given, like, the one time, here, take a run at this, like, multi-million dollar project. Oh, you blew it. You're God. <laughs> Like it's yeah, I just, mean, it is. It, it's insane. Like you would think about this, and you're just like, one, this is sort of a weird premise. Why would you just give it away to like a random person, though? Like yeah. you're a studio, you have to have a person that like all they do is adapt scripts for you. Why would you just give it to a random schmuck? I guess maybe Cyber Bandits is good. Maybe I got to see it before I pass judgment on this guy's writing ability. I got to dig up more about this Cyber Bandits movie. So there we go. That'll be what our next movie up, uh, a film that possibly ended. Sean Connery's career was a miles was a was one of the many points in which Alan Moore like became completely disgusted with humanity. Uh, we'll get to the movies that get even worse from Hell and his extreme hatred over the Watchmen. The like the whole he he legally had to have them remove his name from the movie because they were like releasing press that said he liked the film. So if you ever look up Alan Moore, he looks like uh, Mar or not Marilyn Manson. What's that guy's name? Uh, Charles Manson. And yeah, like Charles Manson and the Unabomber hung out and just yeah. like kind of became one person. Like Charles Manson was like, can I care less about my physical appearance? <laughs> yeah, I also love, uh, if, you, if you have some time, I highly recommend checking out uh, Alan Moore's IMDb. In a particular area, it cites that he uh, is a, an occultist, a ceremonial magician, and an anarchist. Uh he All also, right, he that's also, a weird combination. If I'm not mistaken, uh, uh, has has identifies himself as worshiping some sort of ancient snake god. Oh, that's probably true. One of his more recent uh, comics was uh, he was talking about how the Cthulhu myth was true. That was the premise of the comic. Yeah, felt a little too autobiographical. <laughs> uh, so that's it. Check that out. I mean, Alan Moore is a great writer. Though you should really read some of his work if you haven't. And we'll be covering tons of the movies that were made uh, against his wishes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to make sure that I was verify that fact. Yes, uh, Alan Moore has come out as a uh, as a worshiper of of, of Glycon or Glycon, uh, a state god from uh, ancient Greek mythology. Well, you know what's important is you have a belief structure. <laughs> you know, people who are religious live longer. Whether you believe in Jesus or I don't know Allah, or you practice Buddhism, despite, or you worship an ancient snake god. Despite the ribbing, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an absolutely huge fan of Alan Moore, and yes, uh, I'm, he's big respect to, to him and his work. But I'm just so insanely, uh, I, I could, can't resist talking about him. Well, I think this, this is what so... makes him such a great writer: is he is 
mentally unstable. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if he was an ordinary person, he would not be as good a writer. Like, if you read his his Swamp Thing run, in which, like, there's, like, a, a woman has sex with the Swamp Thing by eating, like, some sort of psychedelic drug he grows on his body, and it turns out that Swamp Thing is really just a Swamp Thing, he's not really a person. That was the run where they were like, no, no, he's not really whatever Alistair, whatever his name is. It's insane. If you haven't read the Swamp Man run, you should really check it out. There's a great one where he travels to hell. It's spectacular. But I digress. So that's our next up is League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Look for it. I mean, you get, I'm, I'm sure it's available for streaming. I don't feel like seeing if it's available on Netflix. I can't imagine it is. I, I can't imagine they were like, we got to scoop up the rights to show this. Uh, real quick, I was curious, speaking of Netflix, though, have you watched any of the new Luke Cage I have. I've watched. Uh, yeah, I've, I finished the first season, and obviously, oh, if you're hearing that word "Luke Cage" season complete and thinking spoilers, relax. I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, it turns out, though, guys, Luke Cage has superpowers. Spoil. <laughs> but I, I had a conversation about this because I actually still haven't finished Daredevil. The first season or the second season? First season. I. Wow, that's weird. Straight up got bored. Really, I the first season I thought was really good, but I've noticed that this happens in all the Marvel shows. It happened in Daredevil 1 and 2, Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage. At about episode 8, they're trying to wrap up the show, but it still has like five more episodes. So there's just like a random thing that happens in the middle, and you're like, what the fuck? I don't care about Like, It's not that you don't care, but you're just like, wow, this is a real – they could cut this out, and it would not affect the show at all. And this it happens in Luke Cage. It's less glaring, I thought, in Luke Cage than it is in the other shows. Yeah, I could probably identify that moment, but in general, I got hooked on Luke Cage uh, a ton. And I think that, that it's really close to Daredevil in terms of tone and story structure. But what Daredevil has is that um, I, I never got the sense that Daredevil, uh, as a character, had any other, like... He, he didn't have any other environment besides uh, the characters he was bouncing off of and the villain. Like, there wasn't, like, a sense that where he was at any given point mattered. And with Luke Cage, um, his position in Harlem is super critical to the storyline. And the people around him that are non-powered are part of that environment. And I, I don't know. I find the whole thing extremely interesting. I get this wire vibe on top of a Marvel movie. Vibe. Yeah, it was, it was excellent. And I thought, I thought they deserve credit for handling, uh, the show hand, not handles, but the show does reference, you know, sort of the state of things in America right now with race relations. And they do it like classy and not in like, you know, I, you know, it really could have gone multiple ways. It could have come off as offensive or, you know, uh, hurtful, but I, I did, I thought they handled the whole thing and they really, I mean, it's hard for these shows because, you know, they're like, he's got a, he's the superhero from Harlem. Daredevil's the superhero from Hell's Kitchen. They're trying to clean up New York. It's like Hell's Kitchen has, like, the highest property values of anywhere anymore. Like, <laughs> it's, it's not Hell's Kitchen anymore. Harlem is, I mean, they all still, of course, because they're a big city. You know, there's, like any city, there's drugs or whatever. But the idea that New York is what it was in the 70s when these comics were written is, like, laughable. And so it's, like, sort of hard. Like, that's the thing I love in Daredevil is they're, like, you know, Hell's Kitchen so violent. And then they show it, and you're just like, this is a beautiful part of New York City. Like, there is no crime in this area. It looks so nice. So I thought, though, that overall I loved Luke Cage. I loved the the soundtrack, the use of music. I thought that was a great move to, like, really bring in 
the, the vibe of like hip hop and, and use artists who had actually come from Harlem. So it was pretty, it's a great show. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, I mean, they've all been good. I don't really need to rate it. Yeah. Them. I mean, I, I, I took a, I took a, I took a swing at Daredevil a minute ago, but that isn't, I would never be one to claim that I thought it was bad. Uh, it just didn't click with me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would recommend maybe just skipping it because, I mean, the ending – the thing with all these shows is the ending is not surprising. Except for, I guess, Jessica Jones. That ending was. I did not see that coming. But I finished <laughs> Jessica Jones in record time. I found that super interesting as well. Yeah, um, I finished this in about a week. I think it's because both those I felt had a pretty strong undercurrent of uh, secondary themes. You know, Jessica Jones got to play with, like, gender stereotypes and got to play with, like – relationships and, and 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 violence and like you know control as well as the superhero stuff and luke cage gets to play with race relations and poverty and the class system and feeling like a, a loner and daredevil like not that anything's wrong with it or the characters suck i love all the actors and their performances but there wasn't like a there wasn't like a third heat well, there is, I mean, Daredevil is, the first series is 100% the idea, and that's what I think even the second season is, what is the, like, where is the, like, Daredevil is all about law and order, but he understands that the system is flawed, and that's sort of the premise of the first season is, he can't get Fisk legally, like, he cannot beat him, and he realizes, like, the fault in the system, and he has, like, that sort of, you know, dichotomy and that's sort of it the idea of law and order versus vigilantes and you know if you are catholic it's a great show to watch because he deals with all the catholic guilt that comes with being raised catholic and the priest in the first seasons like he's a great actor they give him like a bunch of really great lines but i think that's what the first daredevil series is supposed to be is the idea of like dealing with the legality and the moral you know the moral compass of like is it okay to be a vigilante and i think that that's not while it's interesting, it's not as interesting as playing with, you know, race and gender. You know, I mean, those are much more interesting and engaging topics because they're, you know, they're bigger. They, they, you know, they have like a larger sense. Most people, when they're watching a superhero movie, they don't give a shit if the superhero's breaking the law. You know, I mean, that's like not the issue. They're like, oh, I don't care. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for superheroes. They seem great. So, I, yeah, I can see why. I would recommend maybe just skipping the first season. Because like I said, I'm the ending's not. It, yeah, I'm probably going to give it another shot. Because the ending's no point... not super exciting, and there's no like big event that sets up for the second season, other than that Daredevil gets a costume. Like that's the that's really the only thing you need to know is he goes from wearing the black outfit to having a costume and, and sort of accepting the role as the Daredevil of Hell's Kitchen. But the second season, I recommend watching just for the Punisher stuff. I was not like a fan of the dude they cast to play him, and I thought he was going to be awful. And he's hand that part of the series is handled so well that it's like, I mean, it's shocking how good it is, considering it's like he's a supporting character in a series. But I digress. You should really watch the rest of it. You guys should also check out Luke Cage if you haven't. Now, before we go, there is something that I have uh, for Ben. I'm going to send him a link right now over Skype. All right, here we go. I just sent you a link. Got to wait for him to download it. (laughs) You're kidding me. You're kidding me. There you go. That's... Uh, listeners, to describe to you, um, Pogues has uh, created an illustration, potentially for a t-shirt. That's, we'll, we'll never know. That contains the illustrious, famous quote from my uh, regret, actual regret quote game, where I cited uh, lines, uh, I cited uh, quotes given by actors who regretted their roles. 
Oh, boy. Uh, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones speaking about his castmate on Batman and Robin, I think. Um, yes. Batman Returns. Uh, no, Batman Forever. Batman Forever. Oh, my God. I can't get this straight. I'm just too excited. <laughs> if you listen to the episodes you heard, Ben said, please draw me a cartoon version of Tommy Lee Jones saying that. So I drew him a cartoon Tommy Lee Jones wearing his uh, two-faced suit. And I'll, we'll, we'll throw the image up if you're hearing this. Go check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash naospod, and I'll have the image up there for you to look at. That quote will live on in infamy. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. Maybe maybe we'll make it a shirt. We'll see. I haven't colored it or anything. But there you go. I, I followed through on your request. I'm so incredibly happy. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> it's – it's just majestic. <laughs> So that's it uh, for this mini episode, I think. We'll see you next week for League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. As I said, check out our Facebook page. We'll have that up, and you can also leave comments or questions. They don't necessarily have to be about the movie we're doing or the movie we just did. If you want to leave comments to hear us talk about something on a mini episode, throw it, uh, you know, post it on the Facebook page. We'll read them, and we'll talk about them. Uh, you can follow Ben at the Disco Pony on Twitter and me at It's Pose on Instagram. We'll see you next week. How many Sean Connery impressions have I last year next time?